I'm Helen Farmer and welcome to the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinney's. It is all about food, both here in the UAE, but also abroad. And Tiffany Aslick from Spinney's has been eating her way around Europe, enjoying the origins of one of the world's oldest cheeses. We're also in conversation with William Drew, the director of content for the world's 50 best restaurants. He was talking about some of his big hitters from the UAE and his predictions for the future of food as well. Nala Taba is a woman of many skills, a lover of food and art. It's all about community, about connection. She was explaining what she's got planned for the coming months. Talking vegan life with Little Earth, Chef Caesar joining us from Tomoko and in conversation with the founders of homegrown Greek restaurant Philotimos. What is it all about and what's on the menu? Prepare to feel hungry. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking about a few of my favourite things now, travel and food. Joining us on the line is Tiffany Estlick, the creative and content director at Spinneys. She's back on our sandy shores after foodie trips to the Maldives and one that sounds absolutely sublime. Recently in Parma and Modena as a guest of Parmigiano Reggiano Consortium. Oh my goodness, are you just now, do you just feel like a full, you've turned into full cheese now? <laughs> How are you turning? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I already loved that cheese before going and now I'm even more of a dedicated fan. I've come back with like these huge blocks of Parmigiano Reggiano and I'm kind of like eating it every night where I just like, you know, tear off chunks or put it over pasta or whatever I'm doing. So yeah, full cheese. Oh, I love it. So you obviously stock the cheese in spinnies and we know you guys have such an incredible relationship with so many of your suppliers and producers, whether it is, you know, lamb from New Zealand or berry farms here in the UAE. Had you been to that part of the world before and what happened when you were there so i've been i think maybe like 15 years ago when i was going through italy as someone just shut out of university oops giving my age away <laughs> um but um i hadn't really sort of delved into the world of cheese then um i know a lot of our category managers have gone over you know because we're buying cheese from there but no this was really like a first adventure there with cheese and um it was so fascinating. I mean, the whole area is so rich with, you know, foodie culture and history. Um, next to Palmer is Modena, and they've got the balsamic vinegar that they're famous for. Mm. Palmer's obviously got a number of delicacies that it's well known for. Um, and it was just so, it's always great to see where there's a tradition is still alive. So these cheesemakers that have been making the cheese for hundreds of years, it's passed on through the families and that is inspiring, you know, because oh. you're constantly hearing that, like, these ancient traditions are losing focus and fame and people are looking for other, you know, jobs. They're not wanting to get into these trades. Um, and, yeah, I was really, really impressed by that. And you, did you, did you go to factories? Were you meeting producers? Can you, can you give us a little sneak peek behind the scenes? Yeah, so we were really lucky to go to the St. Bernardino um, Parmigiano Reggiano Dairy. So that family has been doing it for a number of years. At the moment, Paolo is kind of, he's one of the sons and he's at the helm. So his dad was doing it before him. Um, and it was so beautiful. It was one of those like classic uh, postcard perfect Italian houses, like farms. Um, and then they've got the, the whole sort of process place on site. So we, we went in there, we got to see everybody like making it. So they, they use these massive vats of copper and it's been done like this. I mean, obviously they've, 
improved the technology over the years. But, um, you know, the monks would have started many, many hundreds of years ago making this cheese like that. Um, so we watched, you know, they're using raw milk. They're bringing it in from the dairies, like, nearby. Um, there's a cheese master that's on site who's the one who gets to really balance, like, you know, how much rennet goes in and how much heat is used. And it was just that was fascinating to see and to be able to watch every step. Um, they also have like a massive salt brining room where this particular producer has developed this thing where he can stack hundreds of wheels of cheese and then sort of submerge them in salt for 16 days to get, you know, to help with the brine. Um, we saw the special stamps. So uh, Parmigiano Reggiano is tightly, obviously, controlled and protected mm-hmm. by a consortium. And so each wheel gets stamped with all these different, um, you know, the PDO logo, um, so that it's showing that it comes from a specific region, um, that it's officially um, Parmigiano Reggiano cheese. So that was great. We had someone from the consortium chatting to us about the history and, and everything, you know. Um, because the history so, yeah, is, it, kind of like, you know, you, you mentioned monks there. It is one of the, the oldest cheeses in the world um, and yeah, is it, is it true been, sorry, yeah, go on. sorry go ahead <laughs> no is it, is it true that it's only you know it's the same ingredients essentially for centuries upon centuries and it's only really three ingredients yeah exactly so something like nine centuries that it's been produced for and it's using milk salt and rennet That's it. Um, and they really do guard you know you have to use those ingredients you have to use similar techniques that have been used over the years um, no ad- like additives whatsoever um, and I think that's why it's so tightly protected which is important mm-hmm. it really is and I think um, my kind of first glimpse at the I guess the kind of the history and the importance of this cheese was actually watching um, Chef's Table on Netflix and it was um, Chef Massimo Bottura who of course has Tuna mm. Subito on the palm who is the man in Modena he has his Osterica Francescana which was named as the world's top restaurant two years you know absolute hall of fame i'm guessing you didn't get the chance to go it was probably fully booked i promise you um someone else was on the trip with me farah she kept checking to see if we could get an opening and there was one like two days after we were leaving and we Aww. seriously considered like extending I, the trip just for that oh, um, well, but you know we're cool <laughs> yeah hi hi boss i just need to go and eat at one of the best restaurants in the world well it's yeah. it's a beautiful i mean i think every episode of chef table is, is kind of enchanting in its own way but this this one i thought was really really special because he did so much for that cheese because back in i think it was 2012 there was an earthquake which mm. affected factories you know they collapsed the industry the whole you know parmesan region you know it, it, the whole industry was upon collapse and as you're saying it's such yeah. an integral part to that region um that the the consortium called upon chef massimo and said you know we need your help because you know he uses a lot of the, a lot of that in his um signature dishes so they mm. it's actually next week the 27th um is world parmigiano reggiano day um but the very first one was the whole the whole idea was like shining the spotlight on the cheese and how you know people were losing their jobs their livelihoods um because of this earthquake so in the first one 40,000 people took part and all 360,000 wheels sold out so jobs were saved and now it's like it's like an annual celebration so you should have extended to eat at the restaurant and also stay for (laughs) What sounds like a brilliant cheese day. Um, I want to hear Absolutely. about how you how do you how are you eating it apart from in oh, in volume. So, I mean, basically, so 
for it to be officially Parmigiana Reggiana, I mean, there's many, you know, thing, boxes that need to be ticked, but it's, it has to be aged for a minimum of 12 months. So we tried like 24 months, 36 months. I even tried a 100-month aged Ooh. cheese, which was fascinating. And we were taught that you need to, so you cut away at a little piece and not a slice. You sort of break it away at it. Um, you need to squeeze it. And the younger the cheese is, the more sort of elastic it feels when you squeeze it. Um, and then you break it in half, give it a really good smell. And it's interesting to see like what aromas are, you know, are there. And then you taste. Um, and I found that like, the younger ones were more fruity, floral, more grassy. Um, and then the older you get, it's, it's sort of more spicy, more nutty, uh, more aromatic. Um, you know, you're starting to get the color changes of the cheese as well. You start to see those amino acidic crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you bite into them, you can taste that sort of crystal salty taste. Um, the one that we had that was 100 months, it was sort of like super strong dried mushrooms and smoky. Um, really, really lovely. But you can, I mean, you just have like a piece of it, you know. It's not something that you would completely overindulge in. Um, but yeah, so that was great. I mean, I probably ate in 24 hours. I mean, I don't even want to count. No, don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought them back, though. Um, mm. And then in terms of what you have in store, and I know you're a really accomplished chef yourself, so what, what kind of things, apart from a, a little nibble like a mouse in the evening, what would, you, would you do with it? So something that um, we actually learned there, and I mean, I, you know, I would have done this anyway, but it was we worked with a chef was to just to mix it with a seasonal ingredient. Pumpkin was in season, mm-hmm. and we made um, pasta tortellini, and we made a palmy and pumpkin sort of rich sauce. So we stuffed the pasta with some parmesan and pumpkin, and then we made an even richer sauce to pour over that, and then had the tortellini in a broth, and I thought that was exquisite. Um, so, and I mean, it's always fun to make pasta as well. Um, I think it's, you de- what you don't want, you want it to shine always, so you don't want to sort of bake this into dishes for it, for a long period of time that's just going to sort of kill the cheese, you know? Um, sprinkle it on top of things, let it really shine in the dish, that's important. Oh, my goodness. I was about to say those who are lactose intolerant need not apply, but I don't think it has got lactose in it. Am I right? Apparently not. So um, there was actually someone else on the trip who is lactose intolerant, and she was (laughs) perfectly fine, and it kept coming up. (laughs) Yeah. And she, she's still alive, so, you know. Perfect. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a totally inclusive cheese. Um, Tiff, yeah. thank you so much. Where are you going over the weekend? You've got any foodie plans? What are you cooking? What are you eating? I have, I, you know, I actually just wanted to go to the beach now that the weather's right. Yeah, um, maybe do a bit of a picnic and, yeah, just swim in the sea, which will be good. Enjoy every minute. Thank you so much Thanks. for your time, as ever. Uh, Nourish Magazine is on the shelves, and you're also lending your talents to another platform as well. Tell us about the new podcast. Yes. Um, so we, I'm co-hosting a podcast with Davina, our digital editor, and it's called Nourished by Spinnies, and it launches on the 25th of October, so next Tuesday, and we'll have episodes every two weeks after that. Um, it's going to be available on all major podcast streaming platforms, and we're kind of chatting to farmers, producers, chefs, uh, foodie personalities, well-being experts so it's just like a really nice space where you can be sort of nourishing not just stomachs but hearts and souls as well um our first episode is with uh, we had a really fiery chat to Hatem Mata and caught up with what he's been you know doing he went on that epic world adventure um and he's sort of chatting about that and his new announcements and why he believes barbecue will save the world 
So oh, I'm yes. with him. I don't I don't yeah. know what his reasons are, so I will listen. But I can tell you now, I'm 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 in agreement. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so much. Have a lovely, lovely weekend. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. And in the meantime. Um, I'm going to go and buy some cheese. <laughs> or I might just come to your house and eat it. <laughs> You're a star. Thanks, lovely. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. On Farmer's Kitchen, we love introducing you to the chefs, the restauranters, but also the taste makers, the opinion leaders in the world of food. And speaking to one right now, William Drew is the director of content at the world's 50 best restaurants and was in Dubai just last week. William, how are you? Hi, Han. Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Okay, well, tell us. Well, do you know what? Let's start at the very beginning to to rip off Julie Andrews. For the people who aren't familiar with World's Best, can you explain a little bit around the concept, but also the history of the guide as well? Sure. Um, Twenty years ago, uh, we started a, a list was started of the world's fifty best restaurants. It was an informal poll at that stage um, of. Uh, chefs and restaurateurs themselves and food writers and so on. And it's grown over that 20 years into arguably the, the most definitive guide to the high-end gastronomy uh, across the globe. Um, earlier this year, we launched Middle East and North Africa's 50 best restaurants. So a separate list specifically focused on on the Middle East and, and North Africa. Um, and then in January 2023, the second edition of Middle East and North Africa's 50 best restaurants will be unveiled uh, in, in January, uh, on January 30th um, in the UAE in Abu Dhabi. Watch this space. Now, I would love to know a little bit more about the criteria for being included in this esteemed guide. Can you lift the curtain a little bit and explain what you're looking for? Sure. I mean, the short answer is there are no criteria. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that we actually have um, almost 250 voters across the Middle East and North Africa um, who vote anonymously and independently uh, for their best restaurant experiences of the previous 18 months. We don't ask them to score restaurants in any way. We don't say what they should be looking for. It's up to each uh, voter to choose whatever the restaurant they have had the greatest experience for whatever reason. Um, those votes are all collated together to create a list of the best restaurants. So it's a kind of a democratic process, but mm-hmm. with expert, um, experts um, doing, doing the choosing, if you like. So we don't send them to any particular restaurants. They can go wherever they like, and we hope that they're going to numerous restaurants just as part of their of their daily life they can choose whatever restaurant whether it be a a a fine dining restaurant in a you know fancy hotel or their favorite local cafe and we embrace all of those styles of restaurant any style of restaurant any cuisine any style of service as long as it's a great experience for the diner so with those experts what kind of people have you enlisted in the past i mean would they work in the food industry as their job or perhaps be passionate foodies outside of their main career both of both of those, Helen. So we have approximately one third chefs and restaurateurs themselves, another third who are food writers, uh, food influencers, people in, in the media, mm-hmm. and then the final third are what we call well-travelled gourmets. So those are just food lovers, uh, food obsessives who eat out a lot and have developed, you know, a, a, an expertise o- over time through through their experience. So approximately one third of each of those groups, and we've found that that creates a really interesting balance uh, from the consumer to the kind of um, you know the insider trade um, knowledge uh, to create a diverse and hopefully very credible list of restaurants for people to explore. 
and get excited about. You know, we've known for an awfully long time what incredible foodie hub Dubai is, Dhabi is. You're obviously shining the spotlight on kind of the region as a whole. And I'm curious then for people who haven't seen uh, the 2022 edition, who who did well? Yeah, well, I mean, the UAE performed extremely well. Uh, you, you may not be surprised to hear. Um, the restaurant voted number one, so uh, voted the best restaurant in the Middle East and North Africa, was Three Fills on the harbour side in uh, in Dubai. Um, very much a local favourite, you know, not a sort of fancy um, fine dining restaurant, but um, uh, uh, very much a more casual but really high quality uh, independently owned place. Um, they did very well. Uh, other restaurants across um, the UAE, including um Tresin Studio, uh Low in um in Dubai won the Sustainable Restaurant Award, very important um uh, area that we want to develop further. Um and uh, a restaurant called Kinoya in Dubai won the One to Watch Awards. So it's a kind of the rising star restaurant. Um restaurants in uh Abu Dhabi included uh, Butcher and Still in the Rosewood Hotel and Hakkasan. Um uh, a perennial favourite there. Um but there are of course many restaurants from other countries, Morocco, Egypt, Saudi, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, and Israel as well, um, all included in this uh, in this annual list, uh, which, as I said, the new uh, list will come out in January. Dum, dum, dum. You also, aside from the ranking, do have special awards. You mentioned there the Sustainable Restaurant Award, but you've also got, got you know, Best Pastry Chef, Chef's Choice, Art of Hospitality. How are those, you know, selected? Yeah, so... Those are selected. So when people vote for, as I described earlier, their best restaurant experiences, we also ask them to vote on a few special awards, such as, as you say, the Best Pastry Chef or the the Hospitality Award, where we're simply asking them, where have you experienced the greatest service and hospitality, including, you know, atmosphere and uh, and so on? Um, And that can be some uh, you can be one of the restaurants you voted for as your in in your your list of, of best restaurants or it can be somewhere somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, the, the, it, it, we we asked for some some different um, special awards to celebrate different elements of the uh, hospitality sector. We're going to be talking about some of your more unusual dining experiences. William Drew next, uh, director of content at World's Fifty Best, joining us live. You've got any questions for him, or like me, want to volunteer as one of the uh, the so called experts to do some tasting and voting? Um, get in touch four zero zero one. I'm also keen to get William's take. You know, given the breadth of this guide globally, where does he see the future of dining? Not just here in the UAE, but around the West, rest of the world too. Predictions next. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking food this afternoon. Me, Helen Farmer, in conversation now with William Drew, who's the Director of Content at the World's 50 Best. This guide has been going on for a number of decades now and arrived early this year in the MENA region. The brand new guide is coming out in January 2023. Um, William, when I look at the restaurants that are being included in 50 Best, you know, modern day and historically, we are talking about restaurants that are, you know, game changing, life changing, the often bucket list restaurants. And I'm sure you've been lucky enough to visit a few in your time. Which ones really stand out in your mind as those once in a lifetime mind blowing destinations? Wow, uh, that's a big question. <laughs> but yes, I, I am lucky to have been to some of these uh, extraordinary restaurants. Um, uh, yeah, I was I was actually recently in Copenhagen, where the current 
Egypt world's best restaurant uh, is located. It's called Geranium, mm-hmm. uh, um, and yeah, it, it lived up to its to its uh, to its billing. Uh, it was a pretty extraordinary experience. No meat on the menu. It was entirely um, vegetable and seafood led. Um, but in a kind of 15-course tasting menu, every Ooh. single dish was absolutely exquisite, and the um, the service is incredible. Uh, uh, of course, there are there are amazing different experiences. Some of them are more casual um, and less theatrical. Some of them, uh, you know, bring a lot of theatre and drama and and a. a almost a almost um, an immersive um, performance as much as they are a meal sometimes that can be incredible you have that in a restaurant <laughs> sometimes in, in Shanghai it can be a bit of a palaver <laughs> sometimes it can be a, a palaver of course it depends a lot a lot of a lot of going out to eat depends on um, on what you're looking for and what you're expecting mm. and your expectations can can count for for a lot um, whether you want a, a three or four hour experience or if you want just a, a couple of hours with your friends uh, you need to be looking for a, a different type of restaurant for each for each occasion. And then I guess zooming out not just in terms of location but in terms of, of time as well you must be seeing trends emerging and patterns emerging in terms of popularity you know restaurants of different cuisines um, growing in popularity would you have any predictions in terms of trends for the next couple of years that you're noticing globally? I think two big ongoing trends. One is one is no surprise, and that's the trend for sustainability. Um, you know, the world is, is um, the world of food uh, is much more focused on cutting out waste mm-hmm. and sourcing locally, uh, in sourcing seasonally. And you know, there's a lot of talk about that, but now there's more, much more action on it. And I think diners are demanding that as well, which of course uh, makes it makes it much easier for the restaurants to, to to follow that follow that trend as well as lead it. So sustainability absolutely vital, uh, as we all know. I think perhaps the other one that's that's less obvious is the rise of indigenous cuisines. What I mean by that is traditionally. Western European cuisine has probably dominated in the sort of high end of uh, of dining. Mm. Um, that's no longer the case. So across the world, whether it be in the Middle East or indeed in Asia and Latin America, very specific local and regional cuisines are coming to the fore and not just at the kind of um, street food level or the family level, but they're being brought to a, uh, a more premium dining experience as well. So that, that idea that premium dining was traditionally kind of French or Japanese, perhaps, is is no longer the case. The, the you know the, the local, uh, more traditional, and sometimes um, sometimes more kind of um, um, yeah, I guess traditional is the right word. The heritage cuisines mm-hmm. have been elevated to a new to a new level. That's really interesting because I have to say I've been in Dubai nearly 16 years and I can honestly say I think I've had Emirati food probably less than 10 times so they are they are here you know there's Emirati restaurants absolutely here and certainly dishes across perhaps more general Middle Eastern restaurants but could we be seeing as you say some elevated Emirati watch this space William thank you so much for anyone that does want to find out more about the current top 50 list that's available online now and you've got lots planned over the coming months uh, all community things you said the end of January with a brand new list maybe a few surprises hopefully some favourites in there as well thank you so much for your time what are your eating plans for this weekend have you got anything in the diary a silly question I'm uh, sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually uh, I'm actually in the UK this weekend and I shall be uh, probably eating in a traditional British pub oh, have some fish and chips for me 
I, in fact, if anyone knows where to get some really good fish and chips here in the UAE, send me a message. William Joe, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Looking forward to catching up and watching all of that unfold right here in the MENA region. The brand new World's 50 Best coming to town at the end of January. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Delighted to welcome to the studio. Nala Taba is with us. She is an artist, a foodie, and blends those passions in such incredible creative ways from performance dinners to exhibitions, uh, curates with a number of people across the region and beyond, bringing together culinary, alchemy, research and community. And I'm so interested by what you do and how you do it. Thank you for being with us. How are you? Thank you so much. Uh, I was about to guess that film. Don't that you, you dare. Just, I know, I'm sorry. And I was don't about to say it out loud. Fr- I won't. Friend of the show, you're not allowed to win. <laughs> okay. Zip it. <laughs> but, don't, but don't zip it because I want to talk to you. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about your work and life as an artist. Can you can you give us, people say, oh, you know, he's an artist, she's an artist. And you go, oh, wow, that's amazing. What does that actually mean? You know, can, Gosh, you, can yeah. you kind of... I guess, share on that. Yes, absolutely. I can tell you how my day started. I went for a horseback riding uh, excursion at five in the morning with an artist I'm collaborating with. We then went to the desert, dug holes in the sand, poured plaster into it to make vessels for our next dinner. So that's in a nutshell, like what I was doing <laughs> before I, I came here. And that's why I'm a little bit late. Can I be you? That sounds sure, amazing. <laughs> Please, can it, we be it, friends? It, it, was, it was great. Um, oh. But as an artist, well, uh, formally, I did study fine art. I studied curatorial practice as well. I come from a family of artists. So I think it was somewhat the obvious choice or the thing that I can't live without. What art means today? Well, honestly, it's a lot of things. It's like a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. It's a school of thought, Mm -hmm. actually, is the way I've been looking at it. I've dedicated my life to working in the arts and culture. But eventually, as a side hustle, I was cooking for all my colleagues. From there, it turned into a blog. From there, it just turned into this like celebration of cooking at home as a way of like reclaiming power, especially in a place like Dubai, where we are running around everywhere. Mm And so I'm an artist who's actually trying to heal from how fast paced my life is here, working three jobs, (laughs) getting on a highway, Mm -hmm. experiencing a bit of road rage, trying to be a perfectionist all the time. And somehow art and the culinary arts actually just heal that that tension and allow me to tap into old world magic, ancestry, intangible things. If, if that makes sense at it all. It does. It does. It does make sense. I love the fact that you've come from this family of artists and you say it so easily, like there was no like there was no other choice. But I think for many parents and even kids listening today who might have artistic dreams, it does take a certain family to really encourage and, and nourish that. You know, my, my brother's a musician and for the longest time, I thought my parents would probably fight it. But in the end, you know, they were He's a you know he's a full time musician now and doing oh, incredibly well. But I think an orf- unfortunately, not everyone is open minded enough to to realize how much the world needs artists Absolutely. in any form. Yeah, and, and and there are times where I often challenge that. I would say, especially during the pandemic, when things were so urgent mm-hmm. and so difficult, and you lose sight of like why were these things important? But then, at some point, they did become kind of the saving grace for for many. But which is why, again, art to me has has led me into researching in the urban realm. It has led me to thinking about permaculture and agriculture, um, uh, food tours with frying pan adventures and, and beyond. And how 
yes, I still call that part of my art practice, but it's not art formally. But, but doesn't it just, just come back to connection and communication? Yeah. Yeah. In a different form. Exactly. Sometimes. Storytelling in a different exactly. form. Exactly. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I don't even know where to start. We've got your book. <laughs> yes. Tell us about your book. Absolutely. So a year ago, I was commissioned by the Jamil Arts Centre to respond to their outdoor park Corniche area. Uh, this was in July. So mind you, you can only really access that park at sunrise or sunset. And I couldn't find a single shady spot or necessarily, um, I don't know, I just wasn't responding to the garden or the landscape itself. Instead, I was really interesting in harnessing the sun that we often vilify. Uh, In all my community programming during the summer with various institutions, I always looked at this idea of like bending time or harnessing the weather somehow. So rather than us being so intimidated by it it. or fighting it, what can we do instead? And it brought back memories of sun drying, uh, something we practice a lot in Jordan, thanks to my family, the way you would sort of process end of season vegetables or what could you do with the bounty of like tomatoes or iced tea or whatever it was that you could just put under the sun. And so it started off with this uh, rooftop vegetable and fruit garden uh, where I chopped these fruits, put laid them on silk, They stained the silk in these really beautiful ways. I ended up with these massive panels of stained silk, this abundance of um, sun-dried fruits and vegetables from mushrooms to capsicums to berries to whatever it was. And then from there, uh, it turned into this sort of almanac recipe book. It's also a poetry book because the recipes do read like um, memory stamps, let's Mm. say. And yeah, so that is the culmination of that project. You you don't stop, as you say. <laughs> Numerous hats on. Yes. Um, you have already sold out a dinner that's happening in November. Yeah. But can you tell us about what's coming in December? Uh, absolutely. So as part of um, my contribution to the exhibition on foraging, which is uh, presented by Warehouse 421 in Abu Dhabi, curated by Dima Sruji, Maithel Mazrouri and Faisal Tabbara, I'm collaborating with a dear friend and artist, Mozan Matrushi. She's also a pastry chef. And we are producing these dinners that are a result of me tagging along Moza's research uh, through Hatta and Jabalianas, where she was in this company of the leading botanists in, that, in those regions. Um, they're honey foragers. They're um, honey essentially, foragers. yeah, like agricultural scholars, just such knowledgeable people. And the dinners are really there to kind of grasp how we surveyed all this information that we were taking in, whether it was seeing what was being planted natively, what might still thrive and uh, thinking about like national food security schemes, um, indigenous knowledge and how are these plants speaking to us right now and, and what can one do with this knowledge? And we've been having a lot of conversations around sort of foraging and native plants here and how how can you really utilize them the reality is is that it's not as easy as we want to romanticize mm-hmm. um it is it, it cannot just be a garnish on a salad like there there needs there needs to be more um so with the dinner coming up on december 17th this is going to take place in Jabalianas at the guest house of uh, Maktoum, the honey forager who hosted us and took us around for a walk. Can someone please write a children's book about Maktoum, the honey forager? Oh my gosh, yeah, he's, he's so lovely amazing. as well. 
So it's, yes. at, it's at his home in yes, the guest house. Yes, it, it it's at his home. Uh, Moza and I will be very playfully cooking things with uh, th- cooking meals with whatever we find on the land during that season. And of course, there will be your classic, the biha, so lovely tanur uh, meats. And some they're good pastries to. as well. Yes. For anyone that wants to find out more about what you do across you know, all spaces and mediums and of course find out more about dinner, you, unsurprisingly, your Instagram is a thing of beauty. What, <laughs> what's the best way of following you? Well, uh, definitely Instagram. Uh, even if I'm not very responsive, I do post. I do make an effort with my link tree and my website as well. So feel free to join those. And if you'd like that, it's Nala Taba, N-A-H-L-A-B-T-A-B-B-A-A. If you would like to check that out or indeed want to find out more about what an incredible experience that would be. (laughs) If you've got guests coming to town and want to show them a completely different side to the UAE, one that is really rooted and connected and to hear stories, as you're saying, coming back to storytelling time and time again. Sounds so special. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and thank you al- allowing people to come on a bit of a journey with you up into the mountains as well. Thank you so much Have for Have a wonderful weekend. Can I ask you, where are you going this weekend? What are you eating? Any plans? Gosh, this weekend, uh, a birthday party in the evening brunch I'm out again I'm going to Ubud tomorrow so Ooh. that's what I'm focusing on <sighs> okay I, yeah. I did like you you can't just you can't just drop your going into Ubud tomorrow have an amazing amazing thank time so thank you this is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys eat well live well we are talking food and sometimes it's chefs, it's opinion leaders, sometimes it's the restaurateurs and creators themselves. And speaking now to Galia and Nabe, otherwise known to their many fans as Nabs and G. Uh, they are the team behind Little Earth who are really focused on exciting dishes that are good for the environment too. Lovely to have you with us. Uh, Galia, how are you today? Hi, Helen. How are you? So good to talk to you. I feel like I haven't caught up with you in ages and ages. In fact, I think it was when you opened your doors um, down there at the Time Out Market that I was like, wow, yes. this, this, is, <laughs> this is fantastic. When we think about something like the Time Out Market that's bringing together, you know, the, not sorry, the best of the city. That's, that's, that sounds a bit kind of elitist, yeah. but really a representation of the city across all different cuisines and price sure. points and, and food. But for yeah. people who might not know your origin story, can you tell us where it all started for you guys at Little Earth? Uh, yeah, it went. Uh, it was like six years ago when Nabs and I met at a PR firm. We were colleagues, and we happened uh, to have had a great conversation about food. Um, and just casually, we were like, "Yeah, it would be nice to start uh, doing something together." And we started just experimenting with food and feeding it to our colleagues at at at, at, the, at the office, and it just. Uh, started from there. Uh, so it was a very, very uh, beautiful coincidence. Well, lucky for you guys and, and lovely for yeah. us as well. Um, Nav's great to have you with us. And I, you've, you've grown so much from offering a space to really offering a bit of a community around vegan food, but also those who want to be a bit more environmentally conscious. And you've started doing a speaker series. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What's going on? Yeah. Hi, Helen. Thank Hi. you for having us. Pleasure. It's so good to, to be here. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we really wanted to focus on within our mission was to raise awareness around not only food, but mental well-being, sustainability, so um, we started doing a, a weekly workshop uh, that happens at the restaurant in JLT. 
And it's basically a free event. Everyone is welcome to join. We have different speakers. We usually post about whatever subject we're going to speak about for that week on our social media. And uh, it's been received very well. Now, let's talk. You you guys are... I don't want to say the pioneers, but I have already said that on the show. But to my mind, you know, you were there long before the explosion of vegan that we've seen, whether it is on, you know, on the shelves of Spinney's, because that's somewhere I, you know, being... No, <laughs> yeah. but, but, no, but yeah. truthfully, like the last couple of years, I've gone from, okay, there's been a, you know, a bit of token vegan cheese to whole chiller sections being being dedicated True. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious and, and Galia you're, you're not a vegan yourself so I think you perhaps can kind of zoom out a little bit to, from vegans who may be more tuned into all of it what have you noticed yeah. on the food scene so I, I mean I have become uh, plant-based like vegan since 2014 mm-hmm. um, and um, I mean yeah you're right it's been crazy I mean the, the, the growth uh, is unbelievable from as you said, we, when we started, we were worried that we want we might not get any you know any customers, and then now you find uh, vegan food everywhere. I mean, and now the, the the trick is for us as a restaurant is to continue to keep offering like uh, healthy food that is made from scratch that is not processed because you know with the emergence of all these vegan products, there's also the risk of uh, having a lot of processed ingredients, and this goes way against you know, uh, us, you know, offering any healthy food with, that comes with a plant-based cuisine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, but then, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. All these burgers and the chicken and the fish. And the other day I saw, like, in one of the supermarkets, like, vegan fish. I was like, what's that made of? You know, it's crazy. Well, I wonder, yeah. well we're going to talk next about some of the dishes on your menus and some of the creative ways that you are exciting people um, about being plant-based. Also, news of a new location as well. Nabs and G from Little Earth with us on the show this afternoon. Um, And a message here saying, I've made Korean vegan chicken with mashed potatoes and biscuit for lunch. Ooh, send us a photo, Isabella Grasa. I want to see that. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking vegan food and live on the line now are the founders of Little Earth, Galia and Nabe, otherwise known as Nabs and G. Um, they have got branches across Dubai and a brand new one opening very soon as well. And they're doing some weekly wellness speaker events. So if you're looking to join that community, some free events and I'm sure some nibbles as well, you can find out more on their Instagram. Um, Nabs, can I ask you about attitude towards vegans and vegan food as i said we've seen an explosion in products in offerings across all sorts of different restaurants not just dedicated vegan restaurants what about the attitude are we still seeing some of the memes about you know how do you know you're with a vegan they'll tell you they're a vegan (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question well first of all i just wanted to say happy diwali we forgot to mention that so happy diwali to everyone for the weekend here here and um regarding the the attitude i think people's attitude is really changing i mean People are just conscious of, of how important it is to eat more plants. You know, it's good for the environment. It is good for your health. And I just think that, you know, maybe in the first two years of us being in business, it was a little bit tough for us to kind of adapt. But then you just get used to it. And, you know, there's, there's two parts to every, <clears throat> to every kind of person. Some people like to explore and some people just don't. Mm. What, what, as I said, I find finding really lovely and inclusive is 
more restaurants having because for for a long time your your kind of veggie or vegan option was like here's a mushroom risotto or you know here's a giant portobello mushroom we're going to pretend is a burger yeah and now we're seeing an awful lot more creativity and Galia, I was just wondering if you want to make us hungry what are some of your favorite dishes on the menu right now uh, actually now the best one is called sadvik bowl which is which translates into blissful and it's a really blissful bowl. It's um, it's made with uh, lentils and uh, beetroot uh, shavings and rice and vegan yogurt. It's it's really really superb. So it's it's actually my favorite. I can eat that every day. <laughs> and yeah. and in terms of the creativity from chefs as well, you know, I think. Unfortunately, for a long time, it was like, okay, we need to make adaptations as a vegetarian in the party tonight. Whereas almost every chef I speak to now is like, actually, we really welcome the opportunity to cater to different, you know, might be intolerances or preferences or flexitarian, you know, vegetarian, vegan, of course. Um, and I'm kind of interested from, from your point of view as well. Is that, are you still excited by looking for different ways of creating vegan food? Absolutely, absolutely, especially with the Arabic cuisine mm. uh, as well, because you have a lot of now a m- more more demand from the from the you know Middle Eastern community to find vegan food that they actually food that they that you're used to, but yeah. you know without the meat and without, and and we really, I mean, we're challenged every single day. I mean, we for Time Out Market, we went out of the box. We created the vegan naturals, which I've never seen anywhere else in any restaurant. So we made that with everything, like literally everything, all the toppings. We we have that. Uh, uh, served in JLT as well, so yeah, we're we're every day we're creating something new, and um, Incl- including new spaces. Nabs, you're you're heading to the Palm. I understand that you're opening a new branch in the Kiel Mall in Depachika Food Hall. <laughs> yeah. When 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 when? Because yeah. the the lineup there. I think, I mean, I've always been a fan of Depachika. I think it's a really great space. It's but, wonderful. But the lineup just seems to be getting better and better in terms of Boone and BB and like it's just been, it's been brilliant. So when, 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 when? So it's happening very soon. I'm just going to say stay tuned. Because so <laughs> it's Dubai. Crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So fingers crossed, I would say within the next maybe two to three weeks, hopefully, we'll get everything up and, and running. Well, huge congrats, as I said. Thank You've you. been doing an incredible job from the beginning in terms of feeding and educating. For people that do want to join the speaker series, find out more about you, and of course, order the food. Nabs, what's the best way of getting in touch? Well, you can reach out to us on Instagram on Nabs and G, so that's an A B Z A N D G. And we will be responding to every question that comes across the You're a star. And Gali, apart from the bowl, if we order one thing from you, whether it's for delivery or if we make it to one of the branches, what do you think we should be ordering? A black bean burger. If you're in for a high-protein burger, that's also one of my favorites. You're a star. Have a lovely weekend yeah. ahead. And as you say, happy Diwali to everybody. Thank it's you. Friday and we're talking food. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Meeting the chef now, and it's Chef Cesar Bartolini, exec chef at Tomoka at the Ritz Carlton Jumeirah Beach Resort. He began his professional journey in his home country of Argentina and has since travelled the world, working his way up the ladder, the hierarchy of the kitchen, Buenos Aires, London, um, across big hospitality giants, and being a right hand man to Gordon Ramsay for a long time uh, with a chef de cuisine at Bread Street Kitchen and head chef at Gordon Ramsay's Plain Food. And he joins us live. Cesar, how are you this afternoon, sir? 
Afternoon, Helen. Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm good. Now, it's so funny because every time I see your picture or read your name, I get this really visceral flashback to when I met you years and years and years ago. My little girl, who's now seven, I think was about three at the time. And Gordon Ramsay was in Dubai and you were hosting a morning. And I went along with her and... <laughs> my little one was three. She she was trying to make a parfait, bless her. And you were so kind and so lovely and you knew all of the names of all the little my little ponies that she'd brought with her. And every time we drove past Atlantis, she would say, My little pony, and I would go, That was Chef Caesar that was so lovely to you. So I just want to say thank you and the fond memory that every time I I drive past because it's not just about serving food, it's about it's about being it's about connection, isn't it? So I just wanted to share that. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's lovely from from her. Yes, <laughs> You're now, as I said, at uh, at Tomoka. Can you explain a little bit about the cuisine there, and I guess how your Argentinian roots are kind of fed into the menu? Um, so yeah, we we basically um, Caribbean, uh, Latin American uh, cuisine. Uh, so. It, very close to to my to my roots, um, and all our flavors. Um, obviously, we we try to uh, use uh, as many uh, native products from from Latin America and the Caribbean, but also um, as as many sustainable uh, local uh, produce as well from from here. Um, so it's, the menu is very varied uh, as well. Tell us then about, about growing up in Argentina. What were some of the things that you were eating as a child and, and who was cooking, Chef? Um, so, long story short, uh, my my grandfather, like, they used to have an, an allotment there in the back garden and stuff. So they used to grow lots of stuff there. So I always go picking like berries or my auntie would call me like uh, when I was free on the weekends, like, oh, can, can you come and climb up the fig tree? because uh, the figs are ready and stuff. So I would spend like a few hours there picking figs for them to make jams and stuff. And obviously back in the days, you know, like which, it, everything was a little bit different. You know, they didn't have all these uh, takeaway and mm-hmm. ready meals and, and stuff. So you will have pretty much everything fresh. You know, we used to have rabbits there and, and chickens and, and stuff for my auntie. And the, the entire family, they're like very, very good cooks. Uh, my, all my aunties, my mom, uh, uh, my uncle used to also give like private cooking classes just for like oh, wow. friends and stuff. So, so you grew up so then with couldn't. massive respect for produce then, probably without even realising it as a child, you know, climbing trees and, you know, the idea of being a takeaway, literally being taking taking food out, out of the garden and bringing it into the kitchen. And I've heard that you've got your own vertical farm now. Is that right? Yes, we, we have our own uh, vertical farm on site, which uh, is... It's, it's incredible and you know for, for us it's uh, and obviously for our guests and stuff like that uh, the produce that, that comes out of it is is amazing what, what the, are you that, what are you bringing in what's what's growing there uh, at the moment we have um, all sorts of uh, herbs uh, microgreens uh, quite a lot of variety of uh, lettuce and and things like that and slowly slowly we are adding more and more things you know we want, want to see when i get some tomatoes in there some mushrooms uh 
you know, maybe some watercress. It depends on the on the menu changes and and stuff. Let's talk about the menu. I want. I was going to say, I want you to make me hungry. That would be quite the feat after the Diwali feast I had before the show today. I am full as an egg. But let's talk about the menu. Is there a dish on that menu that you feel is really you on a plate? It's your food philosophy, and everyone who eats it would perhaps understand Chef Caesar. Um, well, the entire menu pretty much is uh, is based around of like what I like to to eat and like pretty much my own flavors and and stuff. But um, if if there is one to to say, you know, that you can really pinpoint, it possibly will be like our uh, whole baked cheesy pumpkin, uh, which is very it's. It's amazing to see and obviously to taste as well and to share between uh, a couple of people and stuff. And it's it's not something that you you see every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super cool for when you come, especially now the weather is getting a yeah, little bit warm. You have a great location right there. It's absolutely stunning. What about Sweet Tooth? Any desserts that, that we could, could be sampling? Uh, sweet Tooth? Uh, we have um, our um, rum cake. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a twist on on the, the the traditional one, but it's 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 actually very very incredible as well. Chef, thank you so much. I do appreciate your time, especially on a Friday. Um, I know you'll be busy tonight, so. Massive congrats on uh, on getting things moving there. It sounds delicious. Um, and wishing you all the best for the for a, not what's going to be a very busy season, I am sure. Thank you and have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Same to you. Take and care. I hope to see you. I hope so too. Team. I hope so too. Chef Cesar Fatalini joining us from Tomoka Ritz Carlton at Jumeirah Beach Resort. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the city's tastemakers, restaurateurs, chefs, and we've got two of the best in the business in the studio now. Uh, this is the team behind BB Social Dining in Dubai, in Riyadh, soon in Abu Dhabi. But the latest baby is Philotimus. Am I saying it right, Spiros? Yes, that's correct. Philotimus, Meze and Grill. Uh, joining us now, here we have got Spiros and Alexander, who I've known for a long, long time in various forms. And I would have to say, you're probably two of the busiest guys in Dubai. So I really value your time of coming in, especially, Alex, on a Friday when you're probably most normally wearing your chef's whites. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you, Helen. You're looking very well rested and relaxed for, for, <laughs> for, for two of the, the busiest cooking bees. Now, let's, let's go Greek. We, when I'm ever asked, and please don't blush... Whenever I'm asked what my favorite restaurant in Dubai is, I'm like, I can't really say that because I like going to different places and I'm, you know, we're spoiled for choice. And then I follow up by going, it's probably BB. So <laughs> I've got high expectations, Spiros. Tell us a little bit about your new baby. Uh, we, sh- we, we should say you are Greek, by the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't get away with it. Spiro Panagakis doesn't exactly, <laughs> it's not exactly a Aussie name, is it, by any sense. But uh, uh, Philotimos uh, has been, a, uh, let's call it a pet project. Uh, that we've had since we've been in Dubai. Um, ever since uh, BB's came to town, we always uh, enjoyed producing what we call a, a homegrown concepts. 
uh, fit for the region mm. uh, as opposed to imported for the region only. Uh, it doesn't mean it's bad to import, but uh, with Philotimos, it was uh, it was taking a heritage which I was brought up in Australia, but uh, parents were very strict uh, by Greek nature. And it's really funny when you grow up in a multicultural society where uh, your cuisine uh, having at home versus the cuisine you're having out with, uh, let's call it the local community, is completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a community, we all love going out to different concepts. And Philotimos was, it wasn't just because I was Greek, uh, but even landing here 10 years ago, 11 years coming up, uh, we saw that there's a, there's a gap in the market that suits the market. Uh, the history behind, uh, let's call it Greece and the Middle East, has been always very strong with, um, with trading and uh, the shipping industry. So uh, we thought that uh, what a prime opportunity, uh, especially where we are in Dudwassel, uh, to bring a concept to town that resonates with uh, our historical values mm-hmm. as a country. And, of course, the cuisine is very diverse, but keeping it as simple as possible to ensure that we can adapt from the, the, the local businesses our menu that supports also local business. Tell us about some of the foods that you were growing up. Was it a proper big fat Greek household? Uh, yeah, in the last uh, year, I can say that because I've put on a few kilos too now. So um, from all these tastings that we've been doing, uh, it, it was very traditional. What were you uh, eating? It, it's really funny when we talk about now what trends are vegetarian, I'm vegan. Um, growing up, these were the items that were just constantly put on the table. But we never used to say, oh, it's bland. It doesn't taste like anything and start siloing communities or um, uh, having that attitude. So uh, vegetarian cuisine within the Greek, uh, within Greek cuisine is very, very important. Uh, we, we, we eat from the farms. We eat um, more organic than we do uh, import or um, uh, take our products uh, from outside. And probably not even realizing it as a child. You're like, oh, yeah, this is organic. No, it's just the food you were given. But it's only kind of now that we start, as you say, kind of siloing and, and, and labelling. Correct, correct. I'm curious how this has translated then to the menu now, Alex. How? Because how, <laughs> you guys have known each other for a long time. You've got a short when long, it comes to <laughs> the stories we could tell. Uh, you know, when it comes to communicating around food, um, how did you guys collaborate in terms of bringing Spiro's kind of heritage and love of that Greek to your expertise as an exec chef? Well, well, we've been we've been tasting and eating a little bit here and there. <laughs> did you go and, uh, traveling? Did you go, did <laughs> traveling? You, yes. Did you go to Greece? We we did actually, but uh, <laughs> quite a while back, and it was Mykonos, and <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was more liquid diet than actually eating. Yeah, okay. Well, say no you more, know, boys. Say no but more. But there was a still a good part of uh, a culinary experience. Um, well, look, I mean, we the the intention of of Philodemus is messer and krill, so it was always. Um, uh, in respect to the local community or the Arabic culture, um, as Bill was mentioned, it's a very close mm-hmm. culture in a way. Um, Did you notice similarities then as you were starting to research and taste and kind of draw some parallels? Yeah, yeah, there's a huge, huge uh, familiarity. However, a simplicity to the dishes itself, I think this is what speaks more to the, the Greek side. Mm-hmm. Um, so the produce, the products speak by themselves. And what we're trying to do what we achieved now actually is that we working with a lot of um, local producers and farmers um, in converting, not not converting, but we bring basically the Greek uh, flavors on the local products. Um, since we are of the homegrown concept, the idea was then okay, we're working with uh, local fishermen, we're working with Dipper Bay oysters, we're working with um, pure harvest on the tomatoes. 
Um, and um, it was really like to pick the best quality what we can achieve here in the region mm -hmm. and then adding, um, you know, flavors, which are like a lot of olive oil, which is very considered. We work with the uh, 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 olive wood fired um, barbecue, uh, olive tree wood fired oh, barbecue wow. um, to explain a little bit <laughs> better on that. Um, what, what about the techniques? Because some of the dishes at BB Social, you know, there's a real kind of intricacy um, with, with a lot of them. But it sounds like this is kind of stripped back a little bit. How have you found yourself adjusting to that? That, I think, was the biggest challenge to be more simple. I mean, BB is already, it's uh, in a way, this of the Asian side, it's, it's simple and clean and straightforward in a way. However, on the Greek side, it's um, less is more. So again, the, the produce speaks by itself. And, and it then has to. You're working with only a few ingredients. I mean, of course, yes, salt, but then there's a lot of oregano, a lot of fresh herbs, um, but less is more. So mm -hmm. to move away from the Asian inspiration where you add um, a lot of bold flavors, um, on the Greek side, yes, the flavor, the bold flavor comes from the product and then you have to, okay, just enhance it a little bit because it's light food. It should be easy going um, once you eat and then you should not really like be... Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying. We have got in the studio, we've got Alexander and Spira joining us from Philotomus. I hope I'm saying it right. We're going to find out what that name means next and most importantly, what is on the menu. Prepare to feel hungry. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Celebrating homegrown concepts and a brand new restaurant opened just this week. Philotomus Homegrown Greek. It's there at Darwassel Mall. And uh, I've got, well, the, the sole child, the co-founders, Spira and Alexander, um, here making their mark on the regional restaurant scene, but sharing their love and passion for their... Well, mostly, mostly your home country, Spiro. Now, what does the name mean? Uh, Helen, it's very funny. Even if you search under Wikipedia, which we are today as opposed to the good old uh, encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that CD that you used to, used to put in. Did you have the CD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the tape. It was a TDK tape. Uh, that's even older. Uh, we, have, we have Google now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no dial-up. So, Philotimos, uh, as, a, as a term stands for effectively love uh, of honor. So uh, honoring uh, families, honoring our culture is, is a day-to-day -day, um, what we call lifestyle that we provide. So when, when, when you're introducing yourself to family, whether it's on a, in the morning or in the afternoon, guests coming over to say hi, it's all about what we give before what we expect Oh, that's beautiful. So it's it's quite it's it's hard sometimes because we, we we call it a bit romantic of what we are as a culture, um, and as as a restaurant, it's about the hospitality that we provide on a day to day basis. I so, think the I think we started to perhaps realise here um, that so there's a difference between service and hospitality. Correct. Does that correct. does that make sense? Yeah, it's a, we we whether you're homegrown or whether you're import doesn't make a difference. It's can we understand what the term hospitality is as opposed to just being a service or uh, a transaction? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's move away from it, understand why we're doing it. Let people grow up in the region too to appreciate that there is a future in hospitality and it's not uh, it's the next best thing that comes to town. So, so a lot of that has to do with the you know attracting and retaining the right staff but also training as well and that's something I've noticed improving an awful lot in terms of um, people working, you know, on tables, really knowing their stuff when it comes to dishes, and not just being like, oh, you know, it's it it this 
you know, not really knowing, yeah. going, this is great with this. You know, the tomatoes are from Pure Harvest. We've been working and really understanding the ins and outs of those dishes. Um, tell us a little bit about the menu, Alexander. Make us hungry. Okay, well. Um, as, we, as we explained before um, German sausages and, uh, No <laughs> We're going Greek <laughs> You're going Greek um, uh, So yeah It's, it's messy and grill So we start uh, Once we Once we come to the restaurant And we sit down And, and Spiro said already It's, it's part of Philodemus is, is a giving um, And again uh, Working with homegrown um, Brands Or um, Farmers markets. I mean We have a, a good relationship With Viking Bakery and um, one important thing, obviously, is yes, we, we want good bread as well as we want good uh, produce of vegetables. Um, it was very important that we develop with Viking um, a bread roll, um, which we serve along with some pita. Um, and then we have a special uh, olive, um, which is obviously from Greece. I mean, <laughs> not from anywhere else. Um, so yeah, this is uh, one, one of the, the moments when you come into the restaurant, you, you sit down and this is what you get in, in the very beginning. And then, mm. you know, it's, it's already like a taste mega itself to get you more hungry on the classics of Greek salad. We have a, a taco salad, which is like a tomato and um, bread rusk salad. Um, we have calamari, we have prawn sakanaki, we have a... Um, cheese sakanaki, which is pan fried oh. uh, sakanaki cheese, and then basically it comes uh, it with some honey on top and oh some sesame. And when you eat this, it's like the combination of salt and sweet. And you're you know, on holiday. It's just, yes, it just <laughs> transforms you really. <laughs> yeah, like oh, Spira, exactly. look at me. Don't look at him. What's, what, <laughs> what's your favorite on the menu? We, we we brought to town, which I've been in search personally for a long time since leaving the days of Australia too, but Baby Octopus, uh, which hasn't existed here for a long time, has ended up on um, a few of the catalogs, uh, let's call it the um, supplier catalogs. So we've developed a lovely little Baby Octopus salad. Uh, the dips, uh, it's always a challenge with the dips because everybody has their own way, uh, whether you make it from potato, you make it from uh, dried bread. Uh, speciality uh, that we do is is the on the grill side of things. Um, the meat is is very important because meat in this country there's such a massive sort of competitive market to who who's got the best. You buy it from Australia, you buy it from there. Where we, we specialize very well on when Alex mentioned about the olive wood fire. For us, that's part of the cuisine. That's that's the heart of the cuisine. And it's that, an ingredient uh, that heat, that smoke. That's an you know integral part. Correct, and it and it and it's also a celebration of the culture because mm-hmm. the culture traditionally come Easter time or come Christmas, uh, we're always using fire. Uh, we're always using the barbecue uh, to to entertain and to uh, look after guests and family alike. So, tell us about the space there at Darwassel Mall. How how many covers and how do you describe it? What what will we see when we go through the door there? Uh, we it's funny. I don't know how we we've managed to do I think it's just a natural path but uh, with BB we we wanted to create a space where people felt that they were taken away uh, from the concrete jungle where we were in the DIFC and still are uh, in Darwassel uh, we wanted to create a unique space because it's part of a sort of a long long mall however it's because it's a lovely local uh, Emirati um, mall we've got this side by side restaurant so we've got uh, some nice neighbours as well very good very good so um if, if, if you sort of look at our, uh, we've got Reef on one end, uh, on the other side. Now we've got Chocobo that's just joined us now. Um, we've got uh, in front of us, we have... Kishmek. Uh, Kishmish. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we have. And um, as, as a 
Huna, Huna Hospitality is uh, our incubator. Okay, so it's uh, developing and launching as a launchpad homegrown brands uh, within the region in general. That's our partner also in, in, in Riyadh. Um, but the whole idea for Philotimos was we need to separate it to create its own experience as opposed to it being part of a larger experience. I get, I get overall. that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lovely, unique space. It's a, we had the comment again last night. They said, I, I don't feel like I'm in Dubai whatsoever. It's, it's, do you know what? It's a, it's a small space. It's only 60 covers, 80 covers in total, including outside. Um, which is perfect timing to open up now as the, yeah. the weather seems to be changing. So we're excited. So doors are open. If someone's going to come over the weekend, I want to hear from both of you. What should we order? Start with, uh, start obviously with the, the, the lovely Viking bakery uh, bread roll with the olive oil that we've uh, chosen. Uh, move on to a tarama. Must have the baby octopus salad. Um, chicken souvlaki is a, is, is a must. And then finish off with a um, – we've, we've developed a lovely uh, Greek sundae, uh, which we call it the Philotimos sundae, uh, which is a frozen soft serve, uh, a frozen yogurt oh, with uh, baklava amazing. and uh, crushed, um, uh, crushed uh, pistachio nuts. That sounds so, amazing. Yeah. Alex, do you approve of his selection? What would you add? I can't really can't move away it. from. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I can't eat it. Number one, <laughs> number two is uh, yet coming back. I mean, I'm in love with tzatziki all my life, so that's definitely um, what we developed a little bit different too. I just love the vision of, of a tiny German Alex growing up asking for tzatziki. And you know, all the German Well, what can you do? You know, like the Greeks are all over the place, and then you know, even 10, 20 years later, we're still supporting them back. You know, it's a never-ending story. I love the feel of dips and pita, wood-fired grills. It sounds, it sounds gorgeous, guys. It really does. Thank you for coming in, especially as I say, during such a busy time for you had a couple of questions going where is it Darwassel Mall so Hajj Jumeirah um, Al Wassel Road just by the canal very close to my house yay <laughs> um, and lastly Chef if you were to yeah. win 500 dirhams to spend in spinnies which you can't because you haven't entered the competition and you're a friend of the show what would you spend that money on um, Spinny was always my one go place to at least on the commercial side um, for meat, so definitely they have a really good uh, Australian uh, Wagyu or mm. even an Angus, so tomahawk steak or a nice ribeye um, is always good to get. And, you know, maybe as a starter, since we just recently launched our uh, brands in Spinis and Spinis. Look at you with um, your soul soups. Your soups. What's it called, soups. Uh Soul Soups. So it's soul, S-O-U-L-E, soups. Soul being the spelling of when it was first created as a as a, an actual word was spelt with an e and then later on uh, was dropped so again another homegrown principle of what's, uh, what's your favorite flavor i love a soup uh mushroom asparagus there's 17 Whoa. total but uh, this was this was our little uh die hard moment myself and alex in the kitchen when we fell into covid and we were locked out completely and we just started making soup it was the, almost like the man-made soup <laughs> thank you and for anyone who's curious about the spelling I'm going to hand that over to you because I can barely pronounce it. No, I know, I'll tell you. P-H-I-O. No, P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-O-S. And can you say something for us in Greek before we go? Kalos Sabatokiriako. Kalos Irtades to Filotimo which is uh, have a great weekend and welcome to Philotimos. Well said indeed, Alex and Spiro, absolute superstars. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.